0: Hello, hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and I'm here with Emily, and today we are talking to Darko Masaroch. up. Uh Emily did it better. It's Darko Masaroch. So <laughs> Darko Masaroch. All right, so I said it. Darko Masaroch. Good. Darko. All right, perfect. So <laughs> hello. 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 <laughs> Darko is a senior developer advocate at AWS. He has a passion for both retro computing and coding from the command line, something I'm pretty passionate about too. So welcome to the show today. I, I can't wait to start talking about some of the tools you use and and your journey. Thank you, Emily. And thank you, Dave.
1: Uh, it's, it's, it's it's a pleasure to be here.
2: I'm, we're so excited. And I'm thrilled to to chat with you about all these official technical things. Before we get started, uh, I just found out what Mesa Roche means. What does it mean for the audience?
1: So Mesaros is, uh, is a Hungarian last name. And if you translate it literally, it means the slaughterer. Yes. So
2: that's incredible. I That's the coolest last name I've ever heard of.
1: <laughs> death metal. Yeah. It's, it's Somebody would say it's the butcher, but I think the official translation is the slaughterer. But I don't think they use that word anymore in like official language. But hey, you know, I have a Norwegian death metal uh, first and last For name. For real?
2: Yes. yeah, yeah.
1: Darko the slaughterer. So there
2: you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I picture you I picture your ancestors in the skyrim helm yes. with uh an ac class of uh 10 and wielding a two hammer with rage within 5 foot radius. Yeah no She's I'm story. pretty sure
2: I'm pretty sure Darko the Slaughterer took over the Normans like he defeated the Normans. Yep. That, um, that's
1: that's historical fact right here. Right? Yes. <laughs>
2: Breaking news, historical
0: fact. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Only the historical facts on this podcast. So.
0: <laughs> Love it. Why don't, we start, like, why don't we start with that? Let's talk a little bit about Serbiet. Like, I'm super curious, your journey and growing up, did you have access to Commodore or was that something the computers you got into as time went by?
1: So I, as you said, I come from a country called Serbia. It's a small little dinky little country in the Balkans, East, Southeast Europe. Wonderful place. Um, depends who you ask, but it's, I've, I've actually changed four countries without ever moving. So my country changed four times (laughs) underneath me. It's wonderful. yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. But here's the thing. Like when I was born, um, we could, we were relatively well off when I say well off. I mean, a country was relatively well off and, um, my my father bought me a Commodore 64. So it was a Commodore 64C. It's one of those modern yeah, yeah, the, models, the white, of, one, yeah. The white yep. ones. Yeah, and it was in 1990. I think he bought it for me. It it, it came from West Germany at that time, and um, that's wild. Yeah, and due to the politi- political situation and economical situation of the of the region, that was my first and only computer until 2001. Oh so, my goodness. While the kids in the West were doing their AOLs and whatever you did in 1999, I had my Commodore 64 and my BASIC and, and all that fun stuff. So I, I kind of grew up with uh, with like limited compute um, access. My first time accessing the internet was in 2000, and I think two or three. I never wow. been on the internet before that. And uh, the first PC I got was in 2001, and it was a 486 running Windows 95. So uh, I started off very, very, very early. Well, with very uh, early computing, but in a, in a in a modern sense, like
2: that's amazing. And just so we're covering, because all historical facts on this developer podcast, what what were the four countries that changed? Like, what actually happened uh, to Serbia so- in that time?
1: So you know, I, I was born in a country called the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. It was a country consisting of six republics: your wonderful Slovenians, Croats, Bosni- Bosnians, Montenegrins, and Macedonians. All of a sudden, horrible war came up. The country broke up. All of a sudden, it wasn't a Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. It was just Federal Republic of Yugoslavia until two thousand uh, until nineteen. Nah, no, when, when did it, when when the next change happened? Two thousand and three. Yes, all of a sudden it's no longer Yugoslavia; it's Serbian Montenegro. <laughs> then a couple of years later, it's no longer Serbian Montenegro; it's just Serbia. So <laughs> I, I had, to, had to had to learn a bunch of different flags, a bunch of different anthems, and a bunch of different names of uh, uh, ways of calling my country a country. So yeah, it's uh, it's <laughs> it's a t- little fact I like to use with people. That
2: it changed I, names more than a VC backed startup.
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to use that sound effect for so long.
2: You, you, oh, I you,
1: you need an actual drum set behind you just to do that.
0: Oh, <laughs> I deserved it too. I did. <laughs> it, was just, it was perfect because there was just that little bit of like silence where she was like, "Did I say that right?" And then it was like, "Boom, Trump." I oh, oh I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get tears in my eyes. It made me feel good. Sorry, Emily, at your, yeah. at your expense. That was uh, I, I was beautiful. looking forward to doing that. Um, so I remember, was it the Yugo too? Because I remember growing up with the car. Yeah. There was a yeah. Yugo. So yeah, Yugo like, was... we, were, we were. I remember looking at Yugos. So we had an indirect relationship yeah. uh, back yeah. <laughs> then with our Commodores. I... As I had my Commodore going to look at Yugos, you were working <laughs> on your Commodore exporting Yugos.
1: So exactly. I. Good. I, I are you. Well. My mom used to own a Yugo. It was, uh, I think, it was our main car until again two thousand and seven, eight, or something like that. It it was a car beyond its time in the worst sense. So
0: yeah, (laughs) you
1: have not missed anything if not buying a Yugo (laughs) at least in the nineties or the two thousands.
0: Yeah, well, it was incredible (laughs) to get a, a car for that price. Indeed, uh, i think four thousand know, dollars or then, something and, like that back then yeah. yeah and that was kind of the market what we could afford for a family car for like how i grew up so yeah it was yugo's and and toyota there was like this brand new toyota that was super affordable too that we were both looking at i want to say it was corolla yeah, i don't even know if they I, make it anymore but i remember the yugo being like its uh competitor <laughs> there's a whole story about the
1: yugo imports in the u.s how a single company imported a bunch of them and then it, it, it's a wonderful story, but um, it's it's not a wonderful car. It is a cheap car yeah. for a reason. So, uh, But yeah, yeah it is it is something special where I come from. <laughs> People took pride yeah. in the crappy car. No, yeah. well, I I mean, they're not produced anymore.
0: So you're, you've got a Commodore. You're programming in basic. Everything is yes, command line. You know, line numbers and everything back then. Uh, you're hitting the internet. How did your journey go? Did you kind of start out like a sysadmin? Uh, and, and move, how did you, how did you get into the, the cloud space? Can, can, can I tell you what was my, so my,
1: my, my childhood dream? I was, I was like Please. six, eight, eight or nine years old. Uh, my mom used to work in a company, they had computers. It was amazing. They had people who would fix those computers. So as a child is like nine or eight, I would, I would dream of a day when I would have a laptop. Not because it's a laptop, but because a laptop I can have next to my bed, and somebody can wake me up in the middle of the night to fix somebody's computer from my bed. Like that's the that's the operations engineer's worst dream. It was my
0: like, <laughs> my longing dream when this I was six or so, eight. <laughs> yeah. So forget it, pagers it, going off at midnight. No. We've got laptops we next want to bed.
2: physically waking you up.
1: I literally <laughs> wanted somebody to wake me up at three a.m. so I can fix it. From my bed from the laptop. And if I can't do it, I would drive in my car, whatever it was, a Yugo, and go to somebody, somebody's company and fix it at 3am. I know it sounds absurd, but uh that was weird little eight-year-old Darko. Amazing. So, and and that's kinda kinda how I started. Like I, I wanted yeah. to go and fix computers. And uh as a lot of kids back then, I was the the kid who would legally install windows xp to your computers and and fix your virus problems and connect you to the internet install drivers and all those things and uh as time went on i kind of expanded my knowledge from windows to a bit of linux to some networking to some servers and you know step by step i got a job as what they used to call a system administrator back in the day and and my first job as a system administrator I didn't know what a system administrator was. I just got a job. It was in a government institution and they just dropped me on my first day and like system administer. There you are. <laughs> and there was a lot of like trying to figure out stuff. Root access. Like just root access. <laughs> I think we had two <laughs> Ubuntu 7 servers back then and I didn't know Linux well enough to use them. So it was a lot of trial and error for me and uh, just kind of trying to figure stuff out as I go. Yeah.
2: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh it's it's and and it's been like like that. And um, I worked a lot with Microsoft networks because uh, back then uh, I I found find it very easy to work with Microsoft products like your Active Directories, your Domain Controllers, your IISs, and all those things because it was all point and click, mm-hmm. and uh, for me that was very simple or easy to approach. But my my perceptions changed as I went on. I kind of I kind of got more cozy with the command line. I got cozy with your command line tools, with with the lack of a GUI. With and I don't know why. Like it's. I think I think it boils down to the fact that I I, I enjoy um, being able to see what exactly I do. So yeah. If if you go and you you. Go to a Windows domain controller and you set up group policy object that will configure a printer on a Windows box. I don't know what's that doing. I know it's going to configure a printer somewhere there, but I would love to see how exactly does it do a thing. So I fell in love with configuration files, a text-based configuration files where you define X, Y, and Z. And it's just like, oh, I I know exactly, well, to a point, what this thing I do is going to do. So this is where my perception kind of changed from like, I want to click less, I want to type more, and I want to try to
0: uh, focus down um, the things I do. Especially if you're having to support that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so interesting, the similarities in our careers. And I think this is not to be a psychologist, but I think playing with all this retro stuff and building old computers is like, because you didn't have it growing up. Like nope, I my wife was laughing at me when I got a US Robotics ninety six hundred baud modem and she was like, Why? And I was like, Because I had twelve hundred baud and now I have ninety-six hundred, you know, and it's like there you oh oh you have one on the shelf. Oh, I love it.
1: It's a ninety six hundred.
0: <laughs> I still I still remember the commands. I had ATS zero equals one, and that would set an auto answer on the first ring to my BBS, and then I would chat with people and give myself extra rounds in space empire door games and you know, okay. so all well, of that.
2: I'm going gonna, gonna to pause y'all for normal people listening in. Um, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what do the words mean?
0: <laughs> so, so the modems back then, this is my kids would say when I was a boy, like is how yeah. I tell this is why I'd be a good grandpa someday. Um, so this was super cool. Like it started out where if you ever watch Matthew Broderick, like War Games, where analog sound, like in fact Steve Woz and Jobs built, it was called a phone freak, where you would modulate sounds, and those sounds would create those frequencies would create different zeros and ones that a computer can understand, right? So a okay. modem, which is a modulator demodulator, was doing that mm-hmm. in the beginning, and then eventually. It there was this breakthrough, which was digital, which was Hayes, which was this company who came up with the ability to have there were these really high quality. I mean, everything's metal. There's all these cool lights. It's like from a '60s Star Trek episode, and it was very command line. So you had to like, if you wanted to hang up, you were literally in like a command line, which they called the terminal, and it was like VTS100 ANSI ASCII. If you've ever that's seen that's why any a
2: terminal that, is called a terminal. Exactly. Yes. Yep.
0: And you would type in like A T H was attention, and then an the yep. H E-H meant hang up, and that's how you would end, so your parents wouldn't be hollering at you that you had you were taking the
1: phone right. Yeah. Um, and, and why why do why why are why are Linux commands L S C D M V? Do you know why they're so short? No, because you it's would all, do all of those all from oh. Unix. You would do, do all of that through a remote command line or a, or a teletype or something that yeah. would take a lot of bandwidth. So instead of doing copy, you just do CP and it's much, much shorter, much more phone efficient. So
0: and does, <laughs> Yeah, and it was I line by that. line. Yeah. It would render your screen like you would <laughs> literally see each character get drawn. And, and there was something, um, I mean, I'm such a nerd. I still do that to this day where I have these computers over here and it's a it's a modem that you can plug into any serial port of these old computers that'll convert a Wi-Fi signal. So it'll it'll the modem thinks it's going out over a serial port. So it's sending things out like it's still 1989, uh, <laughs> and then you hit the internet through TCP/IP, and you see your screen get drawn. Like I can modulate it down to 300 bps, which is your bit rates per second. How many how many little letters on your screen? You know, could you get, yeah, yeah. it's fascinating because like I,
1: I, I grew up knowing about these things. Mm -hmm. I had access to TVs and, and, and movies and all that stuff when I was growing up and I would see my generation in the Western world use computers, use the internet, use Commodores, use Apples, IMAX, whatever. And yeah. I was so fascinated by all of that, and like I could never have it, of course, at that time. And like that's why I have this innate need to collect old computers. So uh, I have a yeah. garage and this entire room full of like old computers from various generations: laptops, desktops, monitors, all that stuff. And and I'm I'm, I'm fascinated by yeah. by the simplicity of some of those things, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and 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 this is me just putting my I'm not that old, but I put my old man hat on and. <laughs> Kids these days, uh, when you have your reacts and your angulars and your whatever frameworks you use for web development, there's so much things going on there, so much memory being consumed, so much CPU cycles to draw a box on the screen. And then you go back to something like a Commodore 64 or an Atari 2600 or a ZX Spectrum or something like that, and then you have to literally go and like count CPU cycles because you need to be very frugal with your memory, with your, with your compute units, uh, because you only have so much. And if you're using, I don't know, like an Atari 2600, most of the things that the Atari does is draws things on screen. And you have like 40 scan lines. For the young people out there, the scan line is when your TV stops, uh, when your TV TV draws a, a little line on the screen. It's no longer a thing, but it used to be a thing. You have only thirty scan lines out of five hundred and seventy six to do some computing. Everything else is just drawing on screen. So you have very and different in Europe. So you were PAL. and, and I was NTSC. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it's like this wonderful. I don't I don't want to call it a wonderful time, but it's this weird time when you have to really pay attention to. What does your code exactly do? How does it do it? And can you make it more optimized? Now, I'm not saying that people should go back to writing assembly or anything like that. I think that's preposterous. There's, <laughs> you should value your time more. But I find some solace, some, some, some comfiness in, in writing this low-level code by like, oh, I, I've made it five milliseconds more optimized for some reason. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing I do. And I, that's hence, I love old computers. I love yeah. it. Y'all
2: are extremely nerdy. Um, the, <laughs> what, <laughs> Thank oh, you. do you? It is a, it is an interesting conversation though because we are so resource heavy now, and we can because you know we're we can we have all this compute power, um, we can waste some. But do you all feel that 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 lack of efficiency somehow is a lost art, or or that we're losing some kind of finesse in our in our development? I don't
1: think so. You know because here's the thing we have so many wonderful engineers out there who do these amazing things with iot and and your your uh how, how do you call them the there's a word for that uh, people who program embedded development people who work with these small wonderful low power low high efficiency devices it, there is some art in that and it's not lost and it's going to be here especially in the world of iot but um I think that yeah. I think it just for for your general bedroom developer, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the the focus has shifted, right? They don't have to worry about moving data between registers. They just have to be find the right framework, and it will do all of that for for them. <laughs> and I, I value that because you want to save your time and do something fast, right? Uh, you know, even if you look go go back ten years, things have changed so much, right? From writing your own. Uh, how do call it, your own like login and, and and user authentication mechanism to just using a framework. I mean, I would never write my own because somebody else has done it much better. So th- there are there are differences in those things.
0: Yeah. And there's the phrase, sometimes you'll hear necessity is the mother of invention, but you also hear scarcity yeah. is the mother of invention. And I feel like it's more about how we think as human beings when we're writing code. So when you're when you've got unlimited resources and you don't need to think about it, you can yep. be sloppy. Yep. Uh, but right, right. when things break, you know, you think how many, how many K and RAM was it to get people on the moon? I remember four, hearing. Four,
1: four kilobytes, four kilobytes, the NASA Apollo 11, 11, yeah. Uh, they had only four kilobytes on their computer, which was on board the the the, the Saturn V rocket. So it, it's insane. Like 4K, you can count to four kilobytes. It's fascinating. So you know, four thousand ninety-six. Uh, it,
2: 4,
0: That's 6, a great 6, way yes. of putting it. Yeah, which was the like, color palette of the common Amiga.
1: The Atari Twenty-six hundred, a console I never owned, had one hundred and twenty-eight bytes
0: of yeah. RAM.
1: You can count I can count 228 well if you finish this thing so yes <laughs> it, is, it is interesting how how you know much limited space you have but you know again sometimes scarcity is the mother of invention as you say like you, you mm-hmm. try to to make your way around it I remember my 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 first PC back in 2001 was a 486 on a 100 megahertz 16 megabytes of RAM and a one gigabyte disk I couldn't play mp3s. I it didn't have enough memory to play mp3s back then so what I had to do I had to go to a friend's computer take an mp3 and lower the quality of an mp3 to I think eleven hundred, eleven thousand 11,000 kilohertz yeah so the quality of the music would be lower but it, if Winamp could play it and then I could listen to my mp3s <laughs> so, Amazing! So, so it worked I got my music but it wasn't the, the best quality right <laughs>
0: And we're out of time on this episode, so we'll make this a two-parter, and we can get into more detail on on everything with the command line. Uh, where can folks find you online?
1: So you can find me on on Twitter. Like my, my handle is Darko Subatica. I, I guess Dave is gonna post it in uh, in the in the in the show notes somewhere. Uh, you can yep. find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, I'm on GitHub. I have a YouTube channel. I used to stream a lot, um, so you can find all of my videos and and, and various recordings of my live streams there. And uh, you can also find my blog, group12.net, which is where I write about random cloud technology, my retro vintage stuff. So if you're interested in reading about how I restored a sun workstation, uh, you can read it all on there.
0: I saw one of your videos looked like you were on a sun. I think it might have been (laughs) something with the command line because I was like, I remember being in Solaris. I remember the first time they... It might have been after Oracle bought Sun and they allowed Solaris to be installed on x86 chips. Yes. And that was really the first time I got to to see this. So very cool that you have those kind of things going on. At at home, I
1: have like, I think like five or six Sun workstations. Uh, Do you really? Yeah, I bought one and I received the rest for free. So the one I bought actually restored. It's a Sun Ultra 1 from 1995. 147 megahertz of power. Uh, It runs (laughs) Solaris 8. So it runs, it runs, it's a Spark system. So it has, runs Solaris 8 on it. And it's, it's a wonderful hunk of metal that used to be very expensive back in 1995. I believe it was like Fifteen thousand dollars back in nineteen ninety-five or something like that. But it's 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 a, it's a fascinating little machine, and I have I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a um, like a blog post written on, on it how I restored it to an extent.
0: Um, wow, I'll 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 add that to the show notes because our listeners definitely know what you're talking about when you're when you're talking about Sun and and that space. And I had um I got the chance to actually work on one back when I was in pharma. And it was doing, it's called BLAST, where it's like genetic research and DNA sequences. And this, oh gosh, this is like 2003, 2004, and suddenly we got Linux uh, clusters. And you could get like a 50-node Linux cluster for the price of a Sun workstation, and suddenly it could do things in parallel way, way faster, and that was just a... Pre-cloud, right now, I mean, you could do with with PowerShell. So. <laughs>